G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. As we do on a Thursday, always good to catch up with Charles Newington, who is the National Director of Family Voice Australia. Charles, a special welcome back to 2020. Uh, Thank you, Neil. It's great to be back with you. It's been a real whirlwind of a week, hasn't it? It has, and, you know, uh, I guess the dust is still settling on the decision that the Queensland Parliament made yesterday. They've passed the abortion legislation uh, after the second reading, and really, uh, for a lot of people who are listening to this conversation today, uh, people who have been hearing conversations all about the battle that's been going on in Queensland over abortion, uh, they'll feel as though it is a dark day in that state's history. Uh, what are your impressions on what has happened overnight and yesterday? I agree. I, I believe it is a dark day. I, I think that it's amazing that the prosecution of the case for abortion has occurred without considering the welfare of unborn children. You know, the debate's been so much upon the, the rights of the woman to have control over her fertility. Uh, it's as if there hasn't been any children involved here. You know, nobody's nobody's talked about them, <laughs> I think. You know, and uh, I think that uh, there's a, it's as if there's an idea that if we don't think of the fetus as a child or speak of it as a child, then it isn't a child. So you'd be saying, Charles, the fact that the debate in the Parliament didn't involve even mentioning the life of the child, uh, there's an indicator there of just how significant uh, people are off beam here because as Christians we say uh, the life of the mother and the child are both important. Yes, I I think that this is a, a kind of a watershed experience really for us uh, in in the culture, uh, and and the sanctity of life issues that are coming up, you know, all the pro life issues, uh, abortion and euthanasia, particularly these issues are actually right at the very foundation of Western civilization and the place of Christianity as as that which informed and provided the cultural values, the underlying values about what it is to be human. For, for Christians, you know, um, that unborn child is a child. Uh, it's uh, it's to be respected as such. And the legislation that was framed, uh, and we recently had a case in Queensland where a man, in an act of violence, he killed a pregnant wife and was charged with not only the death of the woman, but the child that she was carrying. Now, that comes out of a cultural base. It comes out of a Christian base identifying and recognising the full humanity of the unborn child. Charles, you were monitoring what some of the MPs were saying in their speeches. Uh, You were particularly interested in one of the LNP frontbenchers, Steve Minikin, uh, who said that he was not pro-abortion but pro-choice. And, of course, uh, we always make that assumption, don't we, that pro-choice means pro-abortion. Here's someone making a differentiation between those two terms. 
Well, these, the, the words that were attributed to him, it, it was, a, it, it was a, what I think of as a textbook sleight of tongue, you know, the idea of the sleight of hand of the magician who says, you know, watch my hand, watch my hand, and, he's, and with his right hand he's doing something that distracts us, while with his left hand he's turning a terrible trick. And, and, and this speech was like that. It was sleight of tongue because he said things like, uh, the 19th century prohibition on abortion creates fear and stigma for pregnant women. And we know that, that the legislation that's been in place in Queensland was, was not 19th century. It was something that was developed in the late 20th century to start off with. But, you know, that not facts confuse a good story type thing or a good uh, speech. Uh, so there was no prohibition and no evidence that the former legislation created fear or stigma. So if women wanted an abortion, there's evidence that they weren't... Uh, 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 where is the evidence that they were, in fact, intimidated? W w you know, that it, it wasn't there. Uh, but nevertheless, you know, he used this very, very dramatic emotive language. And, uh, and there's just one other phrase. He said, uh, or he's alleged to have said, that, that the, the laws forcing women to use their bodies against their will gave them less rights than a corpse. You know, now, when I read this, uh, I thought to myself, what powerful language, but how powerfully delusional this language is, because this makes an entirely false comparison with organ donation law that stipulates that organs may not be harvested after death if the deceased person did not give permission. But he failed to mention that a woman already had rights to terminate her unborn child now within what we, you know, some people would consider a reasonable time limit relative to safety. It was, and it, at the time, it was considered... Um, that the you know the time frame was uh, was governed by the safety to the woman. Um, now this legislation does not consider the safety to the woman. You know, late term abortions are very dangerous for the woman. I mean, they're terminal for the child, but they're dangerous for the woman. They frequently result in perforations of the womb or infections as a result of cleaning the womb out and the afterbirth after the uh, the act. So um, all these considerations, you know, let not the facts get in the way. Let not arguments get in the way. The ideology has prevailed in this and, and, and smooth words, you know, smooth and deceptive words have, been, have prevailed. And, and I, I feel that this misuse of language is a warning to all of us who use, uh, to use language transparently and honestly, especially those who use words to make laws. We, we, this road that we're on about using words in a deceitful and, uh, and a deceitful way, you know, and as I read that legislation and, and the notes about the legislation beforehand, it, it, it was making sure that it said nothing <laughs> that was really happening to the child, <laughs> you know, uh, and I, I kind of feel that that is a very dangerous road. Well, I know that now that Queensland has these laws passed, uh, and as we have been saying, following in the steps of states like Victoria and Tasmania, those laws now, as I understand it, are quite similar. Uh, there will still be some other states that might be considering this sort of movement from here on. Uh, any thoughts, Charles? I'm not sure whether you're across well, uh, what other states might be doing, uh, moving in these directions. Yes, well, it's clear that this is a sort of a domino effect that we see going on, you know, that, um, you know, other states fall in line type thing and follow, they follow the script, you know. And um, uh, what came to me as I was looking at this actually was I remember when I, when I came to Australia in the, in the 80s, I heard the story of um, Cloudland. Um, some of us, uh, uh, some people will remember 
but in Brisbane we had a um, we had a kind of a, a dance um, a venue um, where lots and lots of people met um, and uh, and we had um, uh, during those days and the days of Joe Bielkabitis that he wanted to do some development he had some some demolishers that he would he would call and do the quiet at night they would go and knock the building down mm. <laughs> and uh, and I went up into the in the ruins of Crown uh, of Cloudland which is a beautiful location with a lovely view you know and I stood in the ruins there and I felt when I led heard what was happening it was like I was looking at the ruination of the destruction of fundamental values. Uh, because that that cloudland, it was like the destruction of the age of innocence. You know, when people didn't necessarily, you know, go to dance in order to land up in bed. You know, they went to dance in order to meet and to befriend. And there was a whole different attitude toward human relationships. Now, we societies become so profoundly sexualized that um, uh, that you know the obvious intention is is is, is, a, is a kind of a tenderization of human relationships, and it's. A, it's, yep. um, you know, innocence is gone, and and so the culture has shifted, and now people just want to maximise um, the the opportunity of a sexualised society. Well, Charles, we talk about the destruction of fundamental values. Let's move on to another huge issue this week. Of course, those uh, recommendations. Uh, for religious freedom. Uh, the reporting, uh, the public conversation on this subject has reduced it to whether it's fair to prevent children who identify as gay to be prevented from going to a religious school uh, that has a religious position that doesn't endorse homosexuality. It's uh, Perhaps this is just the beginning of the debate, but it does seem to be hijacked when it comes to this battleground, uh, which is in schools. Yes, and once again, you know, it's a matter of sexualization, isn't it? It's about sexuality and about the perception of one's identity in terms of your sexuality. So notions of uh, of identity, you know, in terms of, for instance, one's family identity, you know, you know, who your father and your grandfather and your grandmother is and where they came from and all those sorts of things. All these things have been just washed right out of the debate. Nobody cares about whether they were Croatian in the past or they came with the Lutherans in the 19th century. Who cares about that stuff anymore? It's all about your gender identification. And and um, what is it about sexuality that's so important that washes out all those other things about human identity that up until recently we considered so important in the mix? And now this issue of sexuality is being used as a as a wedge. You know, it's a it's a it's a wedge that's sort of being driven into the cultural divide bit, uh, on the issue of what's fair and just and and and. And now, how a person defines their sexuality, not in terms of biology or anything like that, but in terms of self-understanding, that is the justice issue. This has become the new civil right. And, it, it, and, and, and they would think that that civil right, because, uh, you know, they have to try to ground it somewhere. You know, how is it grounded? Because it's not grounded in biology. It's clearly not grounded in biology. So... So where is it grounded? It's grounded in something, and they're using language like it's innate, it's instinctive, it's evolutionary. You know, the idea that my sense of sexuality is a kind of an evolutionary development of, of, of mankind or of humankind. You know, this kind of language, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, it sounds so dramatic and, and, and such a justice issue, you know, that a person should have the right to, 
to identify with the particular sexual position that they have, that they that they choose, regardless of what the actual biological realities are. And of course, and, and concerns here about the wider issue, uh, you might say the bigger issue of the fundamental right to freedom of religion exactly. and uh, not being considered, uh, exactly. in spite of the fact that uh, you know, these are internationally recognised fundamental human right freedoms. Exactly, exactly. Uh, you know, the greater issue, well, this is the point, you see, that they say... You know that that the you know for instance the whole civil rights movement was about about things that were incontrovertible. They were they were things in biology. It was your race. It was your your color. It was your um, you know even your gender. Um, it was your age. These things were things that you know that that could be factually and biologically measured, as it were, and and people shouldn't be discriminated about on, on those terms. But but this new gender orientation type thing isn't of that nature at all. But it's, it's, it's grafted into the civil rights movement so that it's being treated and regarded as a right compared to, say, religious rights. Religious rights are now thought of not as rights uh, of conscience. Uh, what's conscience? Who cares about conscience? You know, so it, it, religious rights are matters of opinion. Religious rights are just matters of tradition. They're, they're not grounded anywhere except in people's uh, self-understanding. How is that different from... From, from sexuality, and the question might then be levelled. Well, if it is as equal to the notion of sexual orientation, why is sexual orientation being given such great status before the law compared to thousands of years of religious identification? You know, um, so, um, but our society is, is at this point where it's not reacting uh, to reality, it's reacting to perception and to emotion and uh, to ideology. And this is a profoundly dangerous time for us uh, uh, in the West. Because, Charles, we have a Western model of religious freedom uh, that secures some pretty wonderful things that are worth fighting for. Uh, your thoughts on how the model has looked and what we can see uh, being deconstructed? Yes, well, sometimes it helps if we look by comparison with other cultures. And right at this present moment, you know, we're, we're, it's back on the agenda that um, that, that uh, young woman in Pakistan, Asia Abibi, is um, is just waiting for the the court to 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 make a final ruling on whether she is in fact um, going to be executed. And uh, she, what happened was that she's a, she's a Christian historically. She was working in the field in a, in a majority Muslim country. And um, what she did was went to a water source and drew water from the same source as the Muslim majority. And to them, that was defiling the water source. They, they, they felt that that was an affront to the prophet or the, their prophet Muhammad. And uh, they got her arrested, and she's been languishing in jail for years now, going through one trial after another. And, and it will come down to, um, uh, it, most likely it will come down to a presidential pardon or non-pardon. And, and the current president is, is, uh, is a fundamentalist in, in his view. He's unlikely to give her that pardon. So the religious, notion of religious liberty must be thought of in global terms, that, uh, that why internationally... It was regarded as one of the fundamental human rights. It was not being regarded that way in some sort of ivory tower Western um, uh, 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 university. It was being regarded by the family of nations talking about what was happening internationally about the rights of people 
to follow their conscience when it came to religion. So, so um, you know, we we need to we need to realize. I mean, I, it's it's fascinating that, for instance, the Muslims in this country are uh, are not uh, uh, going to lie down in respect of their schools. They're not going to allow homosexual teachers in their schools, and they're going to claim their fundamental human right of religion. And uh, and it'll be fascinating to see whether uh, the 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 kind of progressive media will. Um, get, you know, get up on its hind legs uh, to object uh, to that uh, uh, demand. Well, interesting, isn't it, to bring these contrasts and to contrast how you think the Muslim community might react as compared to the Christian community when it comes to our schools. And, of course, issues, as we mention, a Western model of religious freedom, the idea of individual dignity and equality before the law and a flourishing of free speech. These are the sorts of things that if you, in fact, maximise those freedoms, you do away with all of these other issues as you rightly uh, draw attention to the example of the Pakistani woman Asia Bibi uh, who was up on a uh, what many would say is a trumped up charge uh, about uh, whether about uh, you know sipping water from a cup I mean this is ridiculous from our point of view but that's the way we may be heading if we don't get the religious freedom issues right uh, just uh, one more quick uh, comment from you because the Prime Minister is considering moving the Australian embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Uh, of course, Donald Trump did that with the US embassy. Major uh, political fallout from that sort of thing. Uh, what are your, just a quick perception from you as to what's happening there? Yes, well, whether, whether Trump is uh, the flavour of your month or not, one of the things is he's a classic disruptor, isn't he? You know, he's not paying attention to the political correct rhetoric. And he's just doing what he feels to be right, and 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 I I think that the you know that there's a powerful case for moving the the embassy to Jerusalem. After all, it is the capital uh, of the state of Israel, and you know we wouldn't consider uh, not having our embassy in the capital in any other country. It's only it's only kind of emotive ideologies that have prevented us from doing that. And um, I think that what concerns me to some degree is the way in which um, many Christians don't realize that um, sort of a biblical theology connects us into the uh, into the history and well-being of Israel. Um, we can't avoid it. I was just in my, in my readings today uh, in Romans chapter 15. It says here, remember that Christ came as a servant to the Jews to show that God is true to the promises he made to their ancestors. Verse 8, that is. Verse 9 says, and he also came to the nations um, th- that uh, that he might give glory to God for the mercy he has on all people, and and so this you know this is it's an it's an inconvenient truth that that we Christians and and Jews are actually inseparable in the purposes of God and uh, and uh, and it's sad to me that um, that uh, that people fail to recognise that we have to deal very carefully because Israel is sort of certainly the weather vane of the uh, you know of how God deals with the nations. Well, Charles Newington, uh, we'll have to draw a line under our conversation here, but always so valuable getting your insights. Uh, Charles Newington, National Director of Family Voice Australia. Let me point you to the website fava.org.au and good resources there for understanding how Christians think about some of these deeper issues. Charles, thanks for joining us once again today on 2020. Thank you, Neil. 
Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.